0: We're going to have a little bit of fun, and we're going to learn something today about Hezekiah and the sundial. Amen? Hezekiah and the sundial. Now, this is sort of scattered all over Scripture in several different places, and you have to kind of read several different sources to piece together this story. But rest easy, I have done that for you. For reference sake, 2 Chronicles 29-32, 2 Kings 18-20. through 20, And Isaiah 36 through 39 will give you the complete story of Hezekiah and the sundial. This is an actual sundial in Cornwall, England, overlooking the English Channel. A little bit of background. King Hezekiah was a great king and a great man of God. He had a great heritage as a son of David and a great calling and a great vision. Under his leadership, Judah turned from the wickedness that had been practiced by his father, King Ahaz, Ahaz stooped so low that he sacrificed his own children, burning them in fire as worship unto the gods of the surrounding nations. I'd say that's pretty low. That's pretty despicable. By the time Hezekiah became king, Judah had suffered a string of devastating military defeats and was under tribute to Assyria. We talked about Assyria last week and Jonah not wanting to preach to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. But he began immediately at the age of 25 once he became king to implement reforms that would turn the nation back towards God. He tore down the altars and the groves that were being used for the worship of false gods. He even broke the brazen serpent that Moses had used in the wilderness because the people had begun to worship it. 1 Kings 18:4 says, "He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves." and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. That's pretty bad. Anybody know what Nehushtan stands for? That'd be a good thing to look up, amen? So he reopened and renovated the temple, which had been closed down by his wicked father Ahaz. He placed renewed emphasis on following the word of God. He reinstituted celebration of the Passover, temple sacrifice and worship as prescribed by the law of Moses. And he led the kingdom of Judah into great spiritual revival. When King Sennacherib of Assyria brought the hordes of the Assyrian armies down from the north to destroy Jerusalem, Hezekiah prayed down spectacular deliverance from the invading armies. But sadly, he didn't finish as strongly as he could have because the Bible says he began to be lifted up in pride. Aside from being an absolutely fascinating story, we can learn a lot from the life of King Hezekiah. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten eleven that we can learn some things by studying what happened to these people in the Old Testament. Learn what to do right and learn what not to do wrong. Amen? You know, the old adage that experience is the best teacher is not always true. Sometimes you can read the Word of God and find out, I don't need to do that. I don't need to experience that because God says that's not good for me, so I'm going to steer clear of that. So experience is not always the best teacher. Amen. Let's begin today by reading Hezekiah's reaction to a threatening letter that he received from King Sennacherib of Assyria. Now, by the time he received this letter, the city of Samaria and the northern kingdom of Israel had already been destroyed, and most of the cities of Judah had been laid waste by the Assyrian armies. The Assyrians were like locusts marching through the land, devouring everything in sight. It was a frightful time for the people of Judah. They knew that if Jerusalem fell, the entire nation would collapse. Hundreds and thousands would die or be carried away captive to Assyria, just like it happened to their brothers and sisters to the north in the kingdom of Israel. So let's begin reading at 2 Kings chapter 19. We'll read verse 14 through 20 and then 32 through 35. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims. Thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Now skip on down to verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Let me paint a picture for you. We're talking about a hundred and eighty-five thousand men that were slaughtered by a single angel of the Lord overnight. When they went to bed, they were facing a hopeless situation. But when they got up in the morning, all they saw was dead bodies as far as the eye could see. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'd say that Hezekiah's prayer was answered. So Sennacherib and the remnant of his army returned home to Nineveh, defeated and completely humiliated. And it turns out that uh, before he could even try and reconstitute an army, that his own sons killed him with the sword. Sennacherib died because he dared come against the God of Israel. Amen. 2nd Chronicles 32:22 and 23. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib the king of Assyria and from the hand of all other and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah king of Judah so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. So Hezekiah became instantly famous and fabulously wealthy when news of this spectacular deliverance hit the surrounding nations. You might say he became the it king for that generation. He was the guy to know. Everybody wanted to hang with him. Everybody wanted to get to know the king who prayed down the angel of God that slaughtered the armies of Assyria in a single night. Praise God. I guess I'd want to meet the guy too. Then verse 24 says, In those days Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now the sign that he gave him is a reference to what happened with the sundial, which we'll get into in a minute. But because Hezekiah led Judah back toward righteousness as a nation, God began to bless him in every way imaginable. However, it seems that all of this spectacular success and this you know, unbelievable deliverance went to his head, and he became lifted up in pride. And he did not ascribe appropriate gratitude to the Lord for all the blessings that had been bestowed upon him and for this great deliverance. I think he began to think it had something to do with the way he prayed and the way he managed the kingdom. You know, He was lifted up in pride. Thus he opened the door for the enemy to bring sickness and impending death into his life. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 through 11. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order For thou shalt die and not live. How would you like to get that kind of word from the Lord? (laughs) Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days 15 years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Let me stop right here and mention this. This was a revelation to me years ago. Most people think that King Hezekiah was just an old man trying to tweak out a few extra years in his life. But if you study it out, you find out at the time of this incident, Hezekiah was only 39 years old. Fifteen years only puts him up to 54. Hardly what one would call a long lifespan. Amen. Amen. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Evidently, he had a boil that was sucking the life out of him. Amen. A poultice is a centuries-old home remedy, which in this case was recommended by Isaiah to draw out that infection and speed up the healing process. Amen. So don't say that men of God never advocate medicine. Hezekiah advocated a poultice. How many people have heard of a poultice? Raise your hand. How many people have no idea what I'm talking about? You're not from the country then. Because there's country people that still do that to this day. All right, let's pick it up. Verse 8. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees Or go back 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. Now let me digress a little bit because this has to do with the passage of time and the motion of the earth and its revolution around the sun and some pretty fascinating concepts. I am confident that Hezekiah was aware that Joshua had petitioned the Lord in a similar manner. Only Joshua said, I want you to stop the sun. I need as much daylight as possible to finish this battle. And the Lord answered his prayer. Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day so in hezekiah's mind that had been done before i'm equally confident that he was aware of genesis chapter 1 verse 14 stay with me I'm, I'm driving to a point here and god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years even though adam and eve were created to live forever God still felt like it was important for them to mark time in their lives. And He used the sun and the moon and their motion relative to one another to produce a way of marking time, seasons, months, years. Amen? So Hezekiah told Isaiah that it was nothing for the sundial to move forward. After all, time is always moving forward. That's no big deal. Why don't we make time move backwards? I want the sundial to go back 10 degrees. Amen? 2 Kings 20, verse 11. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Okay? I'm going to throw some science facts at you. Just don't lose your mind on me, okay? The earth rotates at the equator at 1,038 miles per hour. Right here in Wilmington, it rotates at about 860 miles per hour. Bet you didn't know you were going 860 miles an hour right now, sitting in your chair. You're going supersonic. Praise God. Only a jet pilot would think about it in those terms. (laughs) For the shadow to move across the sundial in the opposite direction, stay with me, the Lord would have to instantaneously reverse the speed and rotation of the earth, not once, but twice, without subjecting the occupants of the earth to incredible and no doubt fatal accelerations. Imagine if the earth went from, right here in Wilmington, 860 miles per hour to nothing. Guess what? You would continue to travel at 860 miles an hour and hit the nearest tree or obstacle, and you would be dead in a New York second. Amen? Hallelujah. Not hallelujah to being dead in a New York second. Just It was just a... Random hallelujah there, you know. (laughs) Got to be careful with those random hallelujahs. So how was he able to do this? You're expecting me to answer that question? I have no idea. I'm a science guy, but I have no idea how he did it. Except to say that Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 in the Amplified says that he is the God of space and time. He's the creator of space and time. He's not bound, therefore, by the limitations of space and time. And pretty much God can do whatever he wants because he's God. And he doesn't have to tell us how he did it. <laughs> he's not like a magician that, you, you know, you get to know, well, how did you do that? Well, this and this and this. God says, you wouldn't understand it if I told you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Isaiah 46.10 in the New Living Translation says, I love this. It's like God saying, na-na-na-na-boo-boo. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. Amen. I love that. So the larger point I want to get to is this. Many of you have dreams and visions that God placed into your heart, but because of the passage of time or because you've made some mistakes along the way, uh, you've been tempted to let go of what God put into your heart. But remember what God said through the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 25. He is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Years of fruitfulness can be restored if you'll trust in the Lord, no matter what mistake you've made. Amen? The revelation that Hezekiah had was this. If God really was in control of the times and seasons of his life, then he could demonstrate this by moving time backwards symbolically. When the sundial moved backwards 10 degrees, God showed that he could give time back to Hezekiah and the promise of 15 more years would be honored by the one who literally controlled time itself. It was a pictorial way of of showing Hezekiah, I am the master of time. I can turn back the clock for you. I can add 15 years to your life. Because I control space and I control time. Now, I've said this many times before, but I believe it bears repeating. If God is the author of time itself, how is it that time could stop God from fulfilling what he's authored in your life? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is he can't. If he authored it in your life, then time, which was his creation, will not prevent it from coming to pass. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe it was Hezekiah's way of saying, Lord, would it be all right if we went back and started over? Would you give me a second chance? Ten degrees on a sundial equates to exactly 40 minutes of time passage. Forty is a significant number in the Bible. It's associated with testing and judgment. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights in Noah's day. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted of the devil. I believe the Lord was signifying that Hezekiah was entering a phase of testing. And the Lord was saying, I'm giving you 15 years to straighten up or you'll be judged. But shortly after this great deliverance, the spectacular sign from God and his miraculous healing, Hezekiah once again was lifted up in pride. Second Chronicles 32. 31, New Living Translation. However, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. So during this visit, Hezekiah foolishly showed the ambassadors from Babylon, who are now the reigning empire of the world, he showed them all the treasures and all the glories of his house and of the temple. When Isaiah found out about it, he went to Hezekiah. He prophesied to him that all the treasure and all the glory of his house would be taken away and that his sons, who had not even been born yet, would be carried away slaves to Babylon. Hezekiah at this point had become so self-centered. Listen to his reaction. His response was this. The word of the Lord is good. At least there will be peace and truth in my lifetime. I think that's the epitome of self-centeredness that he didn't even care that his future progeny would be sent into slavery because of his actions that was not a repentant attitude and thus how many know that after 15 years hezekiah died at the age of 54 a young man plenty of life left in him another 20 30 years he could have went on and even though he did great things for god and turn the nation back to God and to the word of God and spark revival in the nation of Judah, he could have done so much more. So my admonition to you when it comes to your dream, your desire, whatever it is you feel like God has placed in your heart, don't get to the point where you elevate your dream above, above the call of God itself. Do you follow what I'm saying? Don't lose sight of the fact that there was a reason that God was blessing Hezekiah. He was to look for the kingdom connection. I'm blessing you with all these blessings so that you can advance the kingdom of God like you did in the early part of your reign. But he didn't do that. He squandered it. He became lifted up in pride, uh, basically wallowed in his riches, and became so self-centered that he was no longer usable by God. So after 15 years, 39 plus 15, 54, he was judged and went on to be with his fathers as they say in the old testament amen he failed to see what pastor jensen franklin calls the kingdom connection listen whatever your dream is whatever your goal is whatever your calling is it's always important to ask the lord ask him this question lord how does my dream my calling my vision how does my dream the thing you call me to do how does it impact My brothers and sisters for Christ or those that don't know Jesus. How does it impact them? What's the kingdom connection? How is this going to bring souls into the kingdom? How is this going to help people be saved, healed, delivered and set free? Because if you lose sight of that, the dream no longer has any meaning. The dream is a means to an end. God puts a dream in your heart so he can advance the kingdom of God in the earth. You can do your part to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. So don't venerate your dream above the calling of God itself and lose sight. So much so that you worship the dream and not the father who gave you the dream. There's a real danger. I know I did this for many years. I had to repent. I feel like the Lord called me to be an astronaut. I applied for the program four times. I was never accepted. I made some mistakes. I didn't wait on God. I tried to make it happen my own self. I'm convinced to this day that that was a call of God on my life. And because I didn't do it right, it wasn't manifested the way that it should have been. But now that I've repented, turned my life over to the Lord completely, turned my dreams over to Him, I'm trusting Him to bring that to pass in a way that only He knows He can do it. Amen? Perhaps in the next life. Perhaps in this life. Who knows? Whether it's a technology innovation in this age or in the next age, I'm going to fly in space. Amen. I'm going to have a starship. Amen. And you may think that is delusional, but I'm telling you, if the Lord gives you a promise, he will not forget his promise. Yeah. Amen. Make it so, number one, yes. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, as my pastor back in Shreveport used to say, did y'all get anything out of this? Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's close it out in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the people here. I especially am mindful of all the dreams that are represented here. I speak a blessing over every dream and every heart. And I ask also, Father God, that you would admonish us not to venerate our dream above the Father's purpose, above the Father's heart. Always look for the kingdom connection. Always look for how it impacts people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. And we pray together. In agreement, in Jesus' name, amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that he conquered death, we believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again, we believe...